You know, when I, when I read uh, Acts chapter 2, especially when Peter gets to the end of his deal here, he's addressing the crowd and he's preaching the gospel. And at the end of chapter 2 almost... It says, uh, when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And it says in verse 40, it says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation, this perverse generation. And I am so a part of that. You know, I've I've experienced it, I've lived it, and just to hear those, those words, you know, just the grace-like rain when we've been there for 10,000 years. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that was given to me, given to us on the cross. And that's the basis for which we approach um, worship. And it just, it's just a response. It's saying, thank you. Thank you so much for what I don't deserve. And here, have my heart. I might be messed up, but here it is. Here we go. You know, we just love him, and he just ministers to us. I love that. So anyways, uh, blessed through worship time. Um, Acts chapter 2. Lord, we ask that as we get into your word that you would open our hearts to your scriptures. I pray that there are are so many people here, Lord, uh, in a very short time, we're all going to be dead. We're all going to be gone, and we will stand before your throne, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting destruction. And we pray this morning, Lord, that uh, your gospel would be clear, Father, the things of your spirit would be made known to us while we have breath in our bodies and that we would walk according to your will and that your grace would be poured out upon us in not only upon us, Lord, but would be flowing through us to the world around. Help us to grasp what it is that you're doing here in this New Testament church 2,000 years ago that we might also grasp what you're doing in this church today here in Walla Walla. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place or of one accord, some of your translations say, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, a mighty wind, came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so on one of those 40 days after uh, Jesus' death and he was raised again, he went 40 days and he gave them infallible proofs that he was risen. On one of those times he was sitting with them, I believe they were eating, and he said, hey, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for my, the gift of my father uh, that he, my father promised. I think this is in verse 4 of chapter 1 which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days from now, in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is that day. This is what is happening. They are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2, verse 1 tells us when this happened. This happened when the day of Pentecost had come. It was the day of Pentecost. Now that means nothing to us today, pretty much. Like, what is that? That's like saying that it was like Happy Tuesday or something. But no, it was a very important, significant day in the life of a Jewish person. There were three feasts. If you were a Jewish male, there were three feasts you, were, you had to go to every year if you were within 
a reasonable distance. And the first was Passover, the second was Pentecost, and the third was uh, basically the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it's very significant. And these dates, these, these feasts, as we look at them, uh, they were celebrating an event that had happened in the past or something that God had commissioned them to. But those feasts were, were pictures and types of Christ. They were pointing to, uh, to the future, just as the Sabbath, just as all these other things are pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so when they looked at, like, the Passover, Jesus died on the Passover. What were they celebrating? Well, that God passed over them. They were not judged. How were they not judged? Remember when Moses, uh, you know, was there and, and he told all the people, hey, this is what God says. You're going to there's going to be 10 plagues. Well, that the 10th plague was that all the firstborn children of all the land would die unless they had the blood of the lamb on the door of their house. Those who didn't have it, they died. And so when they were looking back going, hey, we were passed over by the angel of the death because the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of our family. And we were safe. We were protected for that. That was looking forward to Jesus Christ who was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, who was slain. And if we apply his blood to our lives, the judgment of God passes over us. Amen. We apply the blood. That's all we do. And we think we're thankful. It's a sovereign work of God. God provided the sacrifice. He provided the timing. He provided everything. And so the Passover was very important. Pentecost is 50 days later. That's what it means, 50 days later. I love how they call things like that. Penta, cost, uh, 50 days later. Uh, And how do we know it's 50 days later? Well, you can do the math, but three days after his crucifixion, Jesus rose again from the grave. Then we had 40 days, that's 43 days, and then Jesus told him to wait seven days. That was one week later when the Holy Spirit fell. That's 50 days. So when it had fully come, they're having this feast. And this, this uh, 50 days after the Passover is the Feast of Pentecost, which is also called the Feast of First Fruits. We know that 50 days, like say after we celebrate Easter, it's kind of around that time, but 50 days after we start to have a, a little bit of a harvest. Well, that's what they do is they, they bring in the very first of their harvest. Their asparagus and their cabbage and all that stuff, and they bring it in, Right? So the first fruits of their harvest would begin to come at this time, and they would bring it to the Lord in the temple, and they would offer it to him. And this also points to Jesus, as we will see, because Jesus has been resurrected, and now the Holy Spirit has been poured out here. And Peter, he's going to stand up in chapter 2, we're going to read this, and he's going to preach, and 3,000 people will be saved on that day. And will be added to the church, the first fruits of the resurrection, the first fruits of the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the new covenant under his blood. And that's what we have, this covenant of grace and this marvelous work of people putting their faith in Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit comes on upon them and leaves, but he comes and he stays. I love that. What grace. The first fruits came on that day, the day of Pentecost, which we're reading about today. And so there are three feasts, and the third one is also significant, I, I many believe, but uh, not to leave you hanging there, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, and, which is also known as the Feast of Ingathering. That would be at the end of harvest, where they'd have the full harvest, and what do you think that alludes to? What would the harvest be? That's the, and many people believe that, this, that there's a significance that perhaps the Lord might be doing something around that time to take up the church or the second coming of Christ. We don't know. We don't know the day or the hour, but 
it's interesting that people look to that and they go, hmm, well, we've got two here of significance. What about the third? That'll be interesting. So who, who knows what that is? And, and this is why people are kind of freaking out about the blood moons, you know, the blood moons that are going on, because what are they falling on? They're falling on Passover. They're falling on the Feast of Tabernacles, Passover, Feast of Tabernacles. And so don't put anything into it. We know in Scripture, as, as, as actually he's going to read here in Joel in, uh, in just a few minutes, but it says in verse 19, if you skip ahead, it says, I'm going to show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great day of the glorious day of the Lord. And so there's going to be wonders in the sky above, meaning the, the moon will turn to blood and the sun will be turned to darkness. Well, that could be referring to who knows what, you know, but we, we kind of look at it and go, well, that might be blood moons and that might be eclipses, who knows? And I don't want to put too much stock in it, but the idea is that the heavens are letting us know, wake up, put your eyes on the Lord. That's what creation is designed to do. It's designed to point us to the creator. When we look at the wonder and the splendor of everything that's been created, we're going to go, this did not just come into being. This was created. It has a design. It has a purpose. I mean, just look at the trees. Look at the fruit. Look at how they recreate and all these types of things. Look at us. There's majesty in it. It should point us to a creator and go, wow. And if there's a creator, there's also a recognition that there's a responsibility to that creator. And that's what Peter is talking about here today, but we'll, we'll kind of come back to that. But it should grab our attention and remind us that the Lord will harvest his church from the earth. And I believe before he burns the field of the earth with judgment. I believe we'll be raptured out, and that's what I'm praying for, and if not, we'll be ready for a second scenario, right? And so it was Pentecost, and they were of one accord, of one heart, in one place. They had been praying together, hanging out together, and as we're going to read, they're going to be eating and fellowshipping. They're of one accord. The unity is in the Spirit. The unity is not because they all agree. The unity is because they are seeking the Lord together. That is where the unity comes, the Spirit of God in and through them. And so it says in verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, like a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were sitting down. And so it, was, it wasn't a violent wind, was it? It was the sound of a violent wind. Have you been in Walla Walla when the winds are blowing? And your house is just... The sound, not the wind, it's the sound of it. And that's what he's trying to really, he's using her, human terms to describe something that's happening supernaturally, as, just as John had to do in Revelation. What did it sound like? What well, kind of sounded like this? Walla walla, when it gets the, you know, gale force winds. It's just going crazy there. That's what it sounded like, like a violent wind, a mighty wind. I find it interesting that the name for uh, wind or breath or spirit in Hebrew is ruach. That's, that's how he's identified. That's the picture that, that often that the Holy Spirit is given. He's is, is like the wind, you know? And he's, that's kind of his picture. The, the very letter is, is kind of for the Spirit. And I don't have time to go into all that. But one of the symbols of the Spirit in Scripture is the wind and breath. Jesus speaks to his, uh, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about the wind and the Spirit and those being born of the Spirit. You can read about that. Jesus in John chapter 20 to his disciples said, receive the Spirit, and he breathed into them, right? The Spirit of the spirit of life. And so there's a sound, and it's like the mighty rushing wind, a violent wind. 
It, it's, that's what it sounds like. And Luke's trying to relay something spiritual in natural terms. And now, what did it look like? Verse 3, and they saw what seemed to be, what seemed to be, were they? No, it says it seemed to be. This is kind of human describing what is happening supernaturally. It seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It wasn't actually fire, but it seemed to be. That's the best thing in the natural world that can describe this spiritual thing that's happening. And when the Spirit came to rest upon Jesus, it was in the form of a dove. Pretty interesting. And now when it comes to rest on his disciples, it's in the form of tongues of fire. In verse 4, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So all 120 of them, men and women, uh, Mary, the mother of God, up in that room hanging out, right? Mother of God, mother of Jesus, right? We like to say that. Needed the Holy Spirit, was filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And they began to speak in other tongues and this, as the Spirit enabled them. And so the word here for tongues is glossia, and it, it just, it's just your tongue, right? That's, that's kind of what the word means. But it also has the idea of speech. That's where, how we can talk. And so it's it, what's happening here is these believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues that were not their own. They, weren't, they did not know these languages. They did not understand them. They, they were not their normal tongue. It was other tongues. This is a supernatural thing that God is allowing them to do. They are, the Spirit is enabling them to speak in a different language. And a couple of things here. And the first I wanted to point out, because I don't want to go too into depth on tongues because we already taught on this, but first is that tongues is a gift of the Spirit. The gift of tongues did not cease with the, with the completion of the canon in Scripture. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 13.8. It's to your right, right after Romans. Some of you, myself included, grew up in a tradition where it said that all the gifts of the Spirit, or most of the gifts of the Spirit, they ceased with the completion of the writing of Scripture in the, early, in the early, early church. And many God-fearing, awesome believers are so full of the Holy Spirit and gifting they don't even know it. <laughs> and that's okay. But I just, for, for the sake of clarity, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm sorry, 13. Why did I write down 13? I think it's 12. Yeah, 13, 8. 13, 8. Yeah, 13.8, it says, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth who's having a lot of gifts problems there. They're abusing the gifts and things are going crazy. But he says, love never fails. This is the, you know, he's talking about love here. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. And so they're saying, well, what is completeness? Well, that's obviously the word of God, right? It's kind of what these godly men kind of came to the conclusion of. But if you keep reading, in other words, it's saying, hey, when, when the canon's done, this, the gifts are done. But if you keep reading, it goes, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the, childish, uh, the childhood behind me. For we now, uh, sorry, for now we see only a reflection is in a mirror. This is what we see now. Then we shall see face to face. And so he's relating with the gifts of childish things now. But he's saying when we are complete, when we die, when we're face to face with the Lord, there'll be no more need for those things. That's, that's the 
Hebrew kind of going, I mean, the Jewish kind of, uh, it's using parallelism there. And so, uh, now I know in part, but then I shall know in full, even then as I am fully known. And now he talks about what those, the three that will remain. And anyways, so anyways, the, the, I believe what it's teaching there clearly is that it's not about the gifts of tongues ceasing. It's saying that all that stuff will cease once we're with the Lord. But the greatest of these, while we are now here, is love. And that's what he's talking about. And so secondly, it was the Spirit who enabled them to speak in different language. Notice it said, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we'll come back to that. But the question is, and how many of you have had this question in your, in your mind, um, do I have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I have to be spil- fil- uh, speak in tongues to be born again? Anybody ever had those questions? Anybody come from a Pentecostal or, or a charismatic background? I come from everything, so it's kind of fun. I was raised Southern Baptist and then TBN, uh, well, not TBN, you know, just kind of, my dad got radically saved and then we went over to Foursquare Pentecostal Church and then I went out into the world and then I came back to Calvary Chapel. So, I mean, I've, whatever. You know, I'm a, I'm a church guy. So I've been all around the church of God and just seen how things happen. Um, so anyways, the question is, do I have to speak in tongues? Our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters, some in this valley will, will teach and some of them do teach that is necessary for salvation in order to speak in tongues. In other words, it is a sign, and they take this verse right here that you're reading today as the key text as to why that has to happen. But we know that if you take one verse and you build a doctrine out of it, you've got some trouble. You've got to go to the whole scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so you can flip left if you were still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Why does God give the gifts of the Spirit to you, to me? For the common good. To bless the people that are all around you. That is why he gives it. And he goes, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, and to another by faith, the same spirit, another gifts of healing by that one spirit, and to another miraculous powers, and to another prophecy, and to another one distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these work one, uh, one and the same and distributes to each one just as he determines. So right there we clearly see that not everybody is given every gift, are they? No, they're not. And he continues on. Skip down to verse 27. He goes, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer is, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so, must you speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? Must you be tongues to be saved? No. That's not what the Scriptures teach. I don't think that's our problem. Do you? I think our problem is on the other side. Anybody? Oh, don't go there, Matt. 
That's all talking tongues at once. That's not what I'm saying. It's the Spirit who gives gifts as He wills for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ. Each one of these gifts given to the church for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Amen. And so I don't think there's a problem with people in our fellowship saying that, you know, hey, you're not speaking in tongues. You better be saved. You're not, you're not saved or, you know, you're not filled in the Spirit because you're not speaking in tongues, right? That's not the problem. You know, that it's necessary for salvation or necessary in order to be filled with the Spirit. But I would guess that most of us veer far away from any discussion about speaking in tongues. Anyone? It's like one of those cultural things we go, eh. And guess what? That can be destructive as well. That can be destructive as well. And the reason why we veer away from it is because we're afraid. We're afraid because we don't know how to deal with it, what to do with it, what happens, how does it work? You know, and like I was talking about with evangelism, we get so scared about the things of the Lord, the things of the Spirit, because, gosh, am I going to mess up or am I going to ruin something? And I think we need to trust the Lord to work in and through us, to go back to Scripture and say, you know, Paul had to deal with all this stuff. And he laid out some pretty cool ground rules. We'll talk about them a little bit, but what does the Lord say about this? How is this to be handled? Put some pretty strong parameters on it. We don't need to be scared. If anything, I think we need to be scared about being shut off from something that God would gift us for for the edification of the body. How is that the bug? If that bugs you, I would like you to, like I have to, when I have something that bugs me, go back to Scripture and see what the Lord says about it and pray. You know, because it can be destructive. And and we, we do come from different backgrounds with different theological bents and all these types of things. How many of you have changed your position on something over the years as the Lord has grown and shown you something? All the time. All the time. I know it can be dangerous in the church and you can have divisions and all that stuff, but if you're keeping love the, same, the, the main thing, how you go about those things and how you grow in them is really important. And so I, I am not here to say, hey, we're going to be you know, a charismatic church and everybody will be barking and clucking by next week. None of that, right? But what I am saying is that if God has it for us, why don't we seek it? And why don't we ask him for help? In all these areas, I'm not just talking about tongues, but all these other areas that God has for us, they're ours. And and guess what? You can't just go grab something because you want it. It says the Spirit gives them as He desires to find out what's best for the church. I know pastors who are awesome pastors, and they've prayed for the gift of tongues their whole life. God's like, no, I have not given you that. I've allowed you to teach. That's what's going to edify so that's not your place. Corinthians had a different problem. They gravitated towards the, the gifts that would draw attention to man. And that's the danger. And that's the danger that Paul had to confront. Because what is he saying? What are they doing? Why are they all talking at once? Paul to come in and go, hey, listen, you're all gifted, it seems, but you got the wrong heart. The wrong heart. And he had to put parameters so that people would be edified in I don't want to go back into that uh, too deeply right now. But the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. And so I would just encourage us to ask, go to the Lord and ask him, Lord, 
This is what it says, do you want to give me the gift of tongues? Is that scary or what? Just going to him, say, here's my theology, you can have it. This is what your word says, Lord, do you want to give it to me? And by the way, ask, Lord, do you want to give me the gift of prophecy? Do you want to give me the gift of healing? Do you want to give me the gift of discernment and leadership and all these types of things, interpretation? God, what would best glorify you? What would best bless these people that I'm around? Lord, give to me as you desire and take away whatever you don't want because you are Lord. And God, may I operate in humility and submission to one another. And may I just go to your word and if I blow it, Lord, may I need your, I need your grace. That's the heart we have to have in approaching these things. And so let, it, let him, let the Lord be the giver of the gifts and receive by faith what he gives by grace. They are gifts, they are not earned. For an extensive teaching on these things, I, 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 I hit the gifts of the Spirit and the topical stuff a couple years ago. And so look for the, on, online you can go to the gifts of the Spirit, parts one and two, and they were on 9-2-2012 uh, and 9-9-2012, so you can go back there and get that. But uh, one more point. The 120 were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what did they say in verse 5? Well, we're going to get to that, but this is what, why Paul put a limit. Uh, he put a limit on only three people sharing tongues in a personal service and only one at a time. It was because it only edifies people when you can understand them. Now, we say all 120 received the gift of this, were, were speaking in tongues. I don't believe it was all at the same time. I think they were speaking in accordance as the Spirit let them, let them do that. And it explains exactly what they were saying. So what were they actually saying when they were speaking in tongues to this group? This is the interpretation. The interpretation of tongues. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem. God, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, this is verse 5, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? They heard the sound of the rushing wind that sounded like a rushing wind. There were thousands of people gathered, godly people, for the feast from all over the known world. And these Galileans, who were normally fishermen, who were just plain, ordinary people, normally fishermen, soldiers, grunt workers, right? They were speaking in these different languages. In verse 9 through 11, it gives us a list of the different people groups they were addressing. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. And what were they hearing in their own languages? What were they hearing in their own languages? When tongues were being exercised, what were they hearing? We, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. They were praising God. They were worshiping God. They were declaring his mighty works and his wonders. That's what was going on. You know, I've been in services, like I said, I've had a background where you're sitting there and then someone will speak in tongues 
And then the interpretation is, brother, the Lord has done, da, 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 done. And he starts, you know what? The problem is tongues are to God, prophecy is to man. That's mixed up. When there's an interpretation of tongues, the scripture clearly shows that when that happens, it is praises to God. It's not exhortation to man. Prophecy is exhortation to man. God's speaking to man through his word, through, through, the, through the church. Does that make sense? So it's very, very important that we know that. And so God's showing up in a very big way. It's supernatural things are happening. People are speaking in tongues. People are hearing the glories of God in their own language. And so let's say 10 of you started speaking in tongues. I know it's out of order. First Corinthians, right? We already know that. And I would immediately kick you out and you'd be banished to the outer darkness. I'm just kidding. But say, let's say you started speaking in tongues. And then some of you are hearing like stuff in your own language. Say you're from different places. And you're hearing the glories of God being preached. What's your reaction? Honestly. Some of you are going to be going, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? Some of you are going to be going, I'm out of here. You guys are crazy. See you later. You're drunk. That's what's going on. Does that make sense? To put it in our context, that is exactly what's going on. And so there's these two different reactions when God starts to move. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Supernatural things are happening. And guess what it does when God, the Spirit, starts to move in people's hearts and lives? It starts to create questions. He starts to raise discomfort. He starts to raise different things going in in our hearts and lives. What's going on there? And we start to question, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the meaning of this? When God starts to speak in your hearts, that's what happens. And, God, and they ask this question, what does all this mean? And Peter's going to answer that. It's not just a normal sermon. It's just not another message. It's not another Sunday morning. God was moving. They were affected. They were changed. Amen? What does all this mean? And God's going to answer them through Peter. But in verse 13, we got the other side. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Friends, there will always be those who mock you when you step out in faith and declare the glory and praises of God to this world around you. There will always be those who mock you. There will always be those who mock me. Say it. There will always be those who mock me. It's just going to happen. When you start standing up for Jesus and allowing yourself to be filled and you start speaking, you start acting, you start living, you start stepping out in faith, guess what's going to happen? Oh, what are you doing? Isn't that so-and-so from Walla Walla, you know? What are you doing? Don't you know what you've done? Blah, blah, blah. Are you drunk? Didn't you used to, you know? They'll mock you. But then there'll be the others who say, what does this mean? What's going on? How is this person speaking so directly into my life and so personally they don't even know me or perhaps you do and and these things are happening what does this mean so you'll have these two in verse 14 what does this mean what's the purpose and how does god respond to the mockers and the seekers peter's going to respond to both the mockers and the seekers how does he respond to the those who are mocking and those who are seeking 
Verse 14, that Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Really quickly, who stood up? Peter. 50 days prior, what did Peter do? Servant girl. Put him in his place. Wow. Now we have Peter in front of the same people. The difference? Full of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. He is a witness. We can't do this apart from the Lord, brothers and sisters. So Peter, a different man, he's filled with the Spirit, and he's now a bold witness for Jesus Christ where he once was afraid of man. You know, and I pray that God would fill each and every single one of us to where we would no longer fear what men think of us, but we would fear what God thinks of us. We no longer fear what man thinks, but what God thinks. And so, what did he do? Like Peter, he, st- he stood up. And who did he stand with? The 11. We stand together, amen? Brothers, sisters, it's important to have a team around you. We stand. We raise our voices and we address the masses around us. May God forgive us for being anything but. May God fill us with what he promised. And may we ask for his spirit like we hunger and thirst for food and water every day. And Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice to address the crowd and the mockers. And what did he say? He said, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I say. And you know what? We're going to stop here. Okay? We're going to stop here because I think it's important that we, we keep this flow. And we really hit the second half next week in clarity. This is what I would like to do right now. I'd like to ask each of you to take a minute and to pray. And the things we address, address today about being a witness, about asking for the gifts, about all those things, just take some time in your heart, probably like three minutes of, of semi-silence and just pray. And just spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything that you want to give me? Because I just, I want more of you. And if you want to grace me with these things, let me have it. And Lord, I know I was raised with this theology or that, but this is what your word says. We always go to the word. And if I'm wrong in the way I'm seeing it, show me. If Matt's full of smoke, show me. Serious. I'm serious. We go, we go to the word. We don't, we don't go to Matt. We go to the word and we look at the word and we say, is it so? The Bereans, they went to the word and they said, Paul, is what you're really teaching really what God said? And if they have that open heart, not to go find scriptures to shut someone down, but honestly say, Lord, is this what you're saying? Perhaps God wants to bless you this morning with something you've never had. Perhaps God wants to give you something. How many of you have kids? Whose kids are you? What does he want to give? Snakes? Absolutely, his Holy Spirit. He wants to pour it out on you and he wants to give you the gifts of that. And the fruit of the Spirit, the reason why you know that you'll have the Spirit is not because you speak in tongues, but because love will be flowing from your life in all the ways that you express it. When you speak in tongues, when you prophesy, when you have all these things going on in your life, they are not the chief end, but it's the edification of, of, of the body, the glorification of God. That is your heart and your motive for the reason why you do what you do. And friends, I struggle with that every week because there's things I feel strongly about and I've got to be careful 
because I get passionate about stuff. And sometimes you guys know I go a little crazy and then Lord has to reel me back in. Seriously, is that, was that out of love? And you know love, as Peter will be talking here in just a second, is not, not telling the truth. It's not letting people just do whatever they want and just go and blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, well, they'll just, I just love you. Just go ahead. It's, sometimes it's speaking the truth. Sometimes it's shutting your mouth. It's being led by the Spirit. And that's, that's something we learn. That's something we learn. We step up every week and we put our foot in our mouth or God gives us a blessing, whatever it is. And we grow in it, don't we? So don't be afraid. Grow in it. And let the Lord use the leadership, the elders of the church to help guide and direct God's moving. Now, if y'all stand up and start speaking in tongues, I'm going to have, you know, some serious... <laughs> okay, Lord. Now, it's not bad, but we have to have order so that people are edified. Does that make sense? That's not what I'm asking to do right now. But just pray and ask God that he'd bless you with what he wants. And so let's spend the next couple minutes and just pray quietly to yourselves whatever the Lord lays on your heart. As you've been sitting there and pondering, is there anything that the Lord might have put on your heart that might not be for you? It might be for someone else around you. For the church. A verse. You know, quite often, as I'm praying, the Lord will put someone on my heart and I just need to go up to them and I need to go talk to them. And I don't know all the details of life. I just know the Lord's just saying, I don't say saying, but just nudging me to go, hey, go check out that sheep. You know, quite often when I finally step out and I go talk to him, I realize some of the time that actually the reason why God sent me over there is so that I'd be blessed. <laughs> you know, I spent some time going to the Philippines. <clears throat> and when I went to go to the Philippines both times, I, the first time I thought, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to share the word with people and go minister to people and I'm going to go bless them and people, they'll come to the Lord and blah, blah, blah. And Sure, some of that happened, but really what happened is God showed me who I was. I was in desperate need of his heart for the world that was around me. And I really needed him. And so I was blessed. I was blessed. I was changed as I stepped out. And I think that's the edification of the body. You step out to go bless and you get blessed. So may the Lord lead you and guide you this week in this. And it doesn't have to be weird. It can be, it's you know, God just does things naturally, supernaturally all the time through conversations, through acts of kindness, all these types of things. But don't be afraid of what the scriptures clearly declare are yours. And we've got, you know, great guys in here who can corral and encourage and guide and direct. So be edified this week. Be blessed. The Lord loves you. He's redeemed you. He's given you his spirit. He's given you love and joy and peace and kindness, gentleness, faith and self-control and the gifts of the Spirit. We like to talk about those ones, but all of them, they're yours in Jesus. So draw close to him. Draw close to him and let him fill you with whatever he wants to give you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have an absolutely wonderful week. Next week, the second half of Acts chapter 2, maybe 3. I won't promise. If you need prayer, I'm, we're here for you after service. If you need prayer about these things we've been talking about or whatever. 
God bless you. Have a good day.